So let's go ahead and get started, and uh, uh, we'll uh, finish up sooner, if we start sooner. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to uh, just visit together and get in the Word of God and uh, look at this subject of uh, you know building people who uh, build your church. And that's what Timothy was to, to Paul, and that's who Paul was, was a church planner and, of course, apostle, more importantly. But, uh, Lord, he set a good pattern for, for us, and so did Timothy, who in many ways is a master or a model um, a pastor as a disciple. And a discipler, a trainer of faithful men, and a and a man who was at Ephesus, a church that uh, became a rock, a kind of a mini Romans church. And we just praise the Lord uh, for all the wisdom you've given us, and how uh, Paul uh, used Timothy as a, an example uh, for us to follow, uh, or the Holy Ghost has. So we just thank you for that, and we pray God a blessing on the time we have in your Word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so. Um, you know, it was uh, like 246 years ago, uh, uh, tomorrow, hypothetically. This is a, I know the dates are a little bit skewed, but a group of men staked their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor on the proposition that God would pro- providentially use them to form a better union than the monarchy of England. They believed that King George of, uh, of England had violated the laws of Britain in relation to his governance, and that would therefore um, make him in violation of uh, of obeying their laws of the, of the 13 colonies. Uh, and so they signed, uh, by faith, a document that sealed their fate. And those who signed that Declaration of Independence pledged their life, their fortune, and sacred honor as collateral because declaring liberty from Great Britain was indeed a declaration of war. So it was an all-or-nothing type of proposition that was summarized by Patrick Henry's famous words, Give me liberty or give me death. So these men did not go to the lake. Uh, they didn't have a leisurely cookout with fireworks to celebrate, right? They'd say, hey, let's go out and celebrate our independence. Um, uh, because they understood the Declaration of Independence uh, to be free was an instantly bringing war, right? And so think about that. To say, I'm free, is going to bring war. And that's exactly why Paul was writing this epistle to Timothy. There was a spiritual war taking place in the city of, Di- uh, the city of Diana of Ephesus. Now, there were some claiming that the, the life came from his, uh, the goddess, and that is why uh, she was called the mother of all living. Right, uh, that's who Diana in Ephesus. You know, they, in Acts, they were all excited about Diana of Ephesus, and uh, the Bride of Christ stands in direct opposition to her claims, as we say that Jesus is God and the Creator of all. Right, so it's not Diana. Uh, or, or Artemis or Ishtar, right? Uh, none of them had any bearing on Jesus' incarnation. In fact, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. I bet you're looking for this, aren't you, Jeff? So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a security risk. He kind of came up here in the aisle. I was like, uh-oh, look out. No, just kidding. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so, so in fact, uh, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. So to stand upon the truth that Jesus is God and proclaim the glorious gospel uh, was not without contention. This was, uh, this was war over worship. Right, so this was a war that finds each of us depending on those uh, whose side we take. Resurrection uh, and eternal life, or uh, or uh, the other resurrection to be cast in a lake of fire with the devil and his angels. And so that leads me to where we are in the conclusion of Second Timothy or First Timothy chapter three. Believe it or not, this goes together and goes right perfectly with the the mystery of godliness in First Timothy chapter three. 
And so let's read that, and then we'll bust into the rest of this. It says in verse uh, 14, we've covered the rest, the character qualities of the pastor, character qualities of the deacon. And then verse uh, 14 says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All right, so where we've been. Uh, we've talked about the glory of godliness. It's been reflected in the characteristics of the office. It's a good office. It's a good work. It's a good office for godly men to desire. We saw it's reflected in the character of the officers, the pastor's character. He must be, right? These things, the deacon as well, likewise, must be those things. And the officers' wives were also included in verse 11. So we covered all of that in great detail. And then uh, is to reflect the character of the congregation. And so... Um, that is where we are today. Uh, so as we look now at the congregation, uh, which I've been telling you we're getting to for a couple of weeks, we see the tale of two women. All right, One is the bride of Christ, the pillar and ground of the truth, and the other is a fertility goddess who, was in a, uh, uh, who had status all over the Greek and Roman world. Paul writes to encourage the church at Ephesus, uh, the church in Cass County as well, to reflect Christ to a lost and dying world. So, how do we do that? Well, first of all is point A, fervent anticipation. And we saw that in verse 14. These things write unto you, or unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Right? There's a great anticipation, fervent anticipation. Point, a, point one, a personal letter of anticipation. This was personal the way he wrote it. And so, uh, you know, when kids go off to camp, you know, one of the things they often do is they have them write a, a letter. And oftentimes it's a letter to themselves. It's a personal letter about what God is doing in their life. Um, and so uh, those are cool letters, and uh, and it's it's neat to read those, you know, uh, and see what God was doing. This is a, a letter. Uh, Paul is like, you know, I cannot wait to come and see you. Um, you know, <clears throat> and so uh, <clears throat> the... Uh, uh, a lot of times people will write into us and say, Hey, I'm coming, Pastor Roger, I'm coming to America. I'm coming to Kansas City, right? And he writes a letter. I cannot wait to see you guys. And then he comes and he brings gifts. And he's so nice. And so we look forward to the return of uh, folks that uh, that uh, go and on a trip and come back. We look forward to friends that come from a long place and come to see us. Um, and so we also should look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ and his return, right? And so uh, he's going to come soon. These things write unto you, Paul says. Uh, why did he write them? Because he was personally wanting to come and see them. It's important as we read and study God's word that we realize it's a personal letter to us. This book was personal, written to Timothy, but it's also written to us. And God, we should be looking forward to seeing the Lord any day now. And so uh, the next chapter, we will specifically address the latter times. So it's clear that this epistle was written with us in mind so god really did have us in mind the mystery of godliness uh, what he was writing to timothy is also what he is writing to us so the anticipation the hoping to come into these shortly is something that we should be waiting for from the blessed hope and i put in your notes titus 2 13 uh, he wrote later to titus looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great god and our savior jesus christ so it should be a blessed hope we should look forward with anticipation uh, to the coming of the lord jesus christ and so when we read the bible we should 
look forward to what the Lord has for us. The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ for his church in secret is something that the bride of Christ has been waiting for since the first century. And now that we see the fulfillment of Daniel 70th week drawing nigh through the fulfilled prophecy, we do not look for signs. We listen for the sound of a trumpet and await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't wait for that. We should look forward to that because we got a letter from him saying that he's coming. So are we looking forward to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ? Or... Are we taking God's words personally? I'm sure when Timothy read this, uh, the relationship that he had with Paul made him take it personally. And uh, if we're not preparing our hearts daily and longing for his appearing, uh, it's certain that we will not be ready when he does appear. You don't want to be caught off guard. Oops! Oops, Lord, I didn't really think you were coming. Uh, You don't know what the day will bring forth. So it's a a wise child of God who's always ready for the appearing of the Lord. Because not only the rapture of the church could happen, but you could get T-boned out here on 49 Highway and meet the Lord today. We don't ever know what tomorrow is going to bring. So we really need to be ready to meet the Lord. Uh, however that occurs right and so you know gala was i couldn't believe that she was gone so quick i mean we were none of us expected her to just all of a sudden including gala right just but she was super ready and she even said that last thing she said to me is i'm ready to go to heaven if the lord wants me i'm like oh gala we're going to pray through this and you're going to be fine well guess what i was lying and i did not know that so uh, we prayed through it and she's fine but she's in heaven so praise the lord she was ready right she was ready because she loved the word of god and so Uh, The Word of God contains the practical instructions on how to prepare for the Lord's coming. So I put in your notes there, Romans 13. It says, And that knowing the time, that it is now high time, right, to wake out of sleep. It's high time to wake up, right? Sometimes I go by El's room and say, El, it's time to get up! It's high time. High time to get up. Why? Because, uh, you know what? Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. So I don't know about y'all, but I, I, I got saved on March 25th, 1987. I think, Ron, you got saved back in the 80s, didn't you? 88. Not too long after me. When did you get saved, Sharon? 66. The, the Lord is, is nigh. Uh, he's nearer than when you believed, right? When did you get saved? 55. 75. Oh, 75. Okay. So were you you were out of out of Vietnam when that happened. Praise the Lord. Jeff, when did you get saved? 77. So you guys were kind of close to one another. You were the you win the prize. You are you're our big sister. So Amy got saved in uh April of 87. And L, what year did you get saved? I can't hear her. Do you remember the year? I think she was seven. Oh, you guys can figure that out. I don't know. So you can figure that out. Let me know. But anyway, um, I was there. But anyhow, so the point is simply this. You know, it's high time to wake out of sleep because our salvation, right, the, the fulfillment, what that happened that day, it hasn't come to pass yet. But it's nearer than when we believed, right? We, so we got a lot to look forward to. We got a lot of anticipation. It should be very personal to all of us. And, uh, man, praise God for that. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. So what should we be doing? doing until he comes well we should cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and walk honestly as in the day and not riding uh, in drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness and, and not in strife and envying but put ye on the lord jesus christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof i would say that today there's probably especially in western culture as much opportunity as ever to, to make provision for the lust of the flesh and so i i would not say that uh you know, 
we you know, have it hard. We have it easy in so many ways. But really, having it easy is really making provision for our flesh. I mean, you think about 150 years ago, there just wasn't as much available opportunity. The flesh was definitely still there, and everybody would you know try to make provisions for it. But literally, life didn't provide that opportunity. I mean, you were you were a lot of times today. You know, if you go to another country, a lot of your time is spent looking for food to live, right? Just a way to sustain yourself daily. Like when you lived in Guatemala, I bet a lot of people's time was spent just sustaining life, just trying to live every day. So it wasn't like you could just leisurely fill your flesh up all the time. You didn't have time for that. You're just trying to keep your flesh alive, literally. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, but we live in a Western society. A lot of us, we have a lot more opportunity to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we got to be minded. Yes, sir. Oh, no, go ahead. Mm. Imminent return of Christ. Yeah. But it's a doctrine of being ready because the Lord Jesus Christ can come for his church at any time. Yeah. It's a purifying doctrine, it's a doctrine to help you keep sanctified. But it was called a doctrine of imminency. And I haven't I listen to you know, I listen to preachers and read their stuff. Boy, I tell you what, it's been a long, long time since I even heard that really brought up. Yeah, in our fellowship of churches, it's been a, an issue in the last couple of years uh, because, uh, and I'm going to say this, and this could make its way to the internet, but I will say it because on one of the theology roundtable uh, things they were discussing, um, you know, a, 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 a middle, what I would call a middle of the tribulation, uh, which they would say it's not the tribulation till the mid the midpoint of Daniel 73. However, you want to define that. Um, at the end of the day. Uh, you're, they said, "Well, we're not setting the day of the hour." Well, you're getting pretty close. So, at that point, the imminence thing, you know, kind of goes away. And so, yeah, yeah, um, everyone kind of backed off of that a little bit uh, because of the issue of imminence. But no, so I have heard it. But it, the, I think the important point is that you're bringing up is in the New Testament. There's nothing but the indication that the return of Christ is imminent. So I also, uh, even in this church. Um, uh, you know, when we Harold did a great study on a Sunday night about the trumpets and the catching away of the church and all of that, but I did make a statement at that. I got up and made a statement at that point. That's all good, but at the end of the day, we don't tie it to the feast cycle. That's a Jewish feast cycle, and I really, when you go in the Old Testament, and you look at those trumpets, those shofar trumpets, are for Israel. And I do think the tribulation, Daniel seventieth week, and the trumpets there do line up with that for sure. However. I believe the troop movements, the silver trumpets that we listen for, are completely different and unique. That's what makes it imminent. So, uh, and so that's, I mentioned that right now to you all and anybody who might be listening, uh, because it was several years ago, many, many years ago, almost now 20 years ago, when uh, I was challenged personally from another pastor on the issue of imminence. Uh, and, and again, it started with a mid trib position and eventually slid to what's called a pre wrath position at the end of the Daniel 70th week. But, um, which is the uh, which is the end of the tribulation? But one of the things that reason I I held up on all of that was was a study of this issue of what you're saying the imminent return of Christ, and and so you, that's where rightly dividing the word you got to be very careful, and also in type again if we're going to use types in the uh, the church. In the Old Testament, if you're going to use a type of trumpet, use the silver ones because those are calling people to war. And if you look at the church, that is exactly what we're doing. Uh, we're already saved. We're already sealed. We're already set apart. And all God is doing is He's really motioning us off the battlefield, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna collect and come right back 
and that we're going to at the end of that we're coming back in a position of war, uh, and so uh, to sh- shut down everything that's going to occur in Daniel's 70th week. I know that's a little deeper than what we were talking about, but imminence is a big deal uh, in a lot of different ways. And I think we probably need to make sure we continue to stress that. That's a good point, uh, Jeff, since you're bringing it up. Because I can see how a lack of understanding of that causes a lot of other issues. Uh, because it is clear. Paul, Paul, you don't know the day of the hour. You don't know. Uh, we don't, you know, uh, we do know the times and the seasons for sure. Uh, but we don't know the day or the hour. And so we do need to be ready for the Lord's appearing at any time. Yeah, it's absolutely sure. Yeah, watch and pray. And it could get a lot worse before even the day of tribulation starts. You know, the day of the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of things there I'm getting off into, you know, in times discussion, but it is the eminence of Christ. Uh, his return is very important to uh, proper, not just doctrine, but proper living, right? And knowing that we'll give an account. So uh, know what time it is. Uh, time to be about the Lord's business, right? And know what time it is. It's high time to wake out of sleep. We need to know what time it is. It's time uh, for the Lord's appearing is nearer than when we believed. Uh, it's time to cast off works of darkness. Time to put on the armor of light. It's time to walk honestly like we are already in the millennium wow not rioting not drunk not chambering which is sleeping around with folks not in wantonness right filthy lifestyle not in striving and envying right and unfortunately that goes on in the church there's people in the church uh, that are in galatians 5 they're fulfilling the lusts of the flesh right the works of the flesh are these some of those things these are right here list in this list and so uh, god forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein so holiness is a factor um we ought to be manifesting the holiness of christ because he's in us and he's a holy god so conversely put on the lord jesus christ right on the other side of that so how do we combat that well we put on the lord jesus christ we get dressed every day we put him on and uh, and uh, when we do that, you know, we're clothed in His righteousness. We make no provision uh, to, you know, fill up the empty time and opportunity with the Word and the work uh, of the Lord. And like the house of Stephanus, we get addicted to ministry. We become addicts for, of the Lord. And uh, that's important. I just started discipling a young man last week, and he's an addict, or was an addict. And that's what I told him. I said, I'm your new dealer. This is our new substance. And... Uh, and uh, now that you've had a taste, uh, I pray that uh, you can't get you're hooked. I pray you can go you can't get off of it because uh, we're going to be addicted. Let's be addicted to something that's going to bless the Lord and bless ourselves. So, all right. So, point two, uh, and I'll finish up here. Uh, making the connection, right? Making the connection. So, um, um, you, uh, did I leave? Oh, reflecting in the uh, re- reflected in the the uh, character is point three. The character of the congregation. Point A is fervent, um, fervent anticipation, and point one is a personal letter of anticipation. And now we're on uh, in regard to this uh, in fervent anticipation. We're talking about making the connection. Point two, making the connection. And that'll finish us up uh, for this for today. And next week we'll come back and pick it up under point B. But uh, 
making the connection. I got plenty to say about this. So Paul is not only going to come see Timothy, he also plans on seeing the church uh, in his uh, in, in his charge and responsibility. So oftentimes, it doesn't occur to the believer that their responsibility at the judgment seat of Christ is not just an individual effort. We're, we're just literally talking about this uh, last Thursday with our disciples. We're in lesson sixteen. So what if we do what we do impacts others? Right? So it's not just us, it's others. In 1 Corinthians 12, you guys know the passage there dealing with the body. Paul says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Right, So we are the body and members in particular. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 12 says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, it's not, is it not therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So, so Paul, you think people are woke today? Guess what? They were woke at Corinth too. They were saying, hey, I'm not part of the body. And he's like, no, wait a minute. You are part of the body. It doesn't matter what you think. You are part of the body. It doesn't matter if you think you're the head, if you're not. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter if you think you're a girl, if you're a guy. Right? You are who you are, and you're who God made you. So if, if the whole body were an eye, we're the hearing. You can want to be an eye all day, but God doesn't make everybody an eye. Right? And so what if all were hearing? Right? What if everybody was an ear? Well, it doesn't work that way. If the whole were hearing, where's the smelling? Somebody's got to smell around here. Right? And I don't mean smell bad. And so, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. God, again, is large. He's in charge. He is the authority. And he is the one who uh, puts the body parts together and gives people their purpose and function in the body. And so we should acknowledge that. And so we can't say, I want to I reach the world. Then ignore the church. You know, you've got to participate in the church if you really want to reach the world. And I bet many of us, we've been around long enough, all of our cumulative salvation ages around here, we've all seen people that they're all about, I want to do this and that for Jesus, but they don't want to do it through the body. They don't want to do it through the function of the local church, which is totally incongruent with the Scripture. You can want it all day long, but that doesn't mean anything. You can. I started off like that. I wanted to be like Billy Graham. I want to go everywhere. And God took time through discipleship to show me, Brian, you aren't going anywhere. If you don't submit to the local church, right? It isn't going to work. You've got to find your spot here because the way I'm going to go there is through this vehicle. And if, if that means you're the tail, then you're the tail. If you're the, if you're the dirty toenail, you're the dirty toenail. Whatever you need to be, that's who you are. Just run in that lane and be content, and God will do what I, he does through the local church. The local church is God's vehicle, and that's not in my notes, but we all understand that. So it's so important. So we can't say, I want to reach the world and then ignore the church. It's not going to work. So over a decade ago, George Barner wrote a book called Revolution. Uh, in that book, he predicted that based on statistical evidence that by 2025, 10 years, uh, 2025, this 20, not 10 years, so three years from now, right? Uh, he, he predicted 40% of us will not be here because we'll have found an alternate means other than the local church to express your faith. So for such a long time, I said, George Barn is crazy. And it looked like he was wrong. But today, I just put a statistic up to 30-some percent of the people that are like, eh, they're not against God. They worship God the way they want. So maybe he knows more than I thought he did. And so um, uh, I don't think so, though. Uh, you know, the bottom line is if you're expressing your faith outside a local church, uh, you're not expressing your faith biblically. And so you cannot abandon the local church and expect the gospel to shine brightly in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. It's not going to happen. It's just not. And so the reason a church dies is because its members die. 
That's bottom line. The reason a church dies is because its members dies. I would estimate the number one reason for spiritual death is spiritual heart disease. That's what happens. We just talked about this morning. It's not having armor. It's not knowing who to go to battle. It's not even knowing who the enemy is. It's actually not engaging the enemy. It's not really believing that Jesus is Lord and has already won. I was just talking to my son after the service this morning, thinking about David and Goliath and uh, all of that story. And, you know, technically that comes after the time of Judges, a time which every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so as we move into these latter days, which we'll get into the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, in the last days, right, in these latter times. So there is coming a time when it will get so bad that only Jesus Christ, David, is able to take on Goliath, Antichrist. And the faith of many will wax and wax, uh, you know, dim. And people will really believe that there is no way to win. And ultimately, uh, Jesus has already won. That's the saddest thing about the whole thing, is we already are victors. No matter what happens, we are in a victory position. All right, so you cannot abandon the local church and expect the gospel to shine brightly in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And so, uh, because of spiritual heart disease, uh, you know what, that is why the church dies, the members die. And so, you know, what have we been eating? Right? That erodes the heart. So I go to my doctor. She said, you know what? It's interesting. I said, I'm tired. She's like, man, you're too young to be as tired as you are. Um, I said, okay. And uh, is it this? Nope. Did some blood work. It's not this. Is it that? Well, you know what? You need to go get, you know what she says? You've got to go get your heart checked. So as it ends up, it's not my heart either. Praise God. But you know what? As soon as you know, if you're if you're if you're not if you're if you're not performing, uh, there's something's wrong. Your heart is messed up. And so obviously, my heart. Praise God, my heart isn't messed up. It doesn't appear to be anyway. So I'm glad, physically speaking. But that's where they look. Do you have a clogged heart? Do you have a clogged artery? You know, is your heart messed up? Because that will affect your ability to move out. So the reason Paul is is being clear about the order in the church is because the Spirit of God saw this coming. We'll see more about that when we get to First Timothy chapter four, as I've already mentioned. But we'll hold on that till next time. So next time we get together, we'll hit point B and and pick up verse fifteen, where he says, "If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God." And we'll talk about some functional things that we need to talk about as a body of Christ. So anyway, uh, sorry that was a little bit, I should have got in here a little sooner, but uh, anyway, that's as far as we can get tonight, and we'll pick it up next week. All right? And uh, that is where we are, working our way through. I'm excited to get to chapter 4, actually, so that'll be good. All right, so um, any any questions, comments? You know, brother, I, I it's I am meditating on all of what that all of that myself. I, I'd like to just tell you I know all the answers, but those statistics that we I talked about this morning are fascinating to me. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about the lukewarmness, you know, Revelation chapter three, and how God would rather have people hot or cold. Um, and I was thinking about that in the context of preachers and churches right now in Christian contemporary Western Christianity, which is so you know 
delicate. Like I, I just, I was just showing in the pastor meeting, uh, a church that is 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 doing a whole series on deconstruction, which is a, if you know anything about deconstruction right now, that's a buzzword for wokeism, deconstructing your faith, deconstructing your political viewpoints, deconstructing the male patriarchy, deconstructing your gender. I mean, there's so many applications to deconstruction. If you haven't looked it up or heard about it, you should check into that. Uh, deconstruction does not mean bringing in a wrecking ball and tearing a building down like it used to. And so uh, it's uh, it means, in that context, it means basically uh, doing away with anything that is uh, uh, any previous thoughts that were, you know, truth. Any absolutes. Huh? It's yeah, yeah, for the re-education camp. Uh, it's uh, it is. It's a reprogramming. It's a deconstruction. It seems like an, just a, oh, that's not a big deal, but in the context in which it's used, it's it's removing any absolute authority, and it is a reprogramming. Um, in essence, you know, it's a Marxist. It's just another Marxist philosophy that's been around for the last couple hundred years. So, um, having said that, um, you know, um, I, I think about that in context of. You go back to the judges again, and that's kind of where you see Israel. Where they went from apathy uh, to apostasy, but there's that apathetic mode where you know nobody wants to move out, nobody wants to do anything. It's just kind of like, uh enemies are on our property. What are we going to do? Nothing you can do about it. Somebody else's problem. And it's an anomaly when somebody finally stands up and says, "Wait a minute, we are the God's people, aren't we? We do. We do have victory. We do own the property, don't we? <laughs> you know." Is there not a cause, right? And so, and I was just talking at lunch with Samuel, uh, my son, uh, about that. Just how that you know David actually shows up. I mean, Saul was the king, but they're just still they're still dealing with with uh, with everything that happened in Judges. I mean, they're still in that situation where they don't they haven't reclaimed their property, they haven't reclaimed their their dominance. They they are not a world power. They're not even a regional power. They're still. Well, right, and they, they were, you know, Samuel was all over it, but boy, uh, other than Samuel and, and David and Jonathan and a few others, it was it was looking pretty bad at that time. Uh, so I, I think about that in the context where we are today uh, in time of judges, so to speak, when every man does that which was right in their own eyes. It's going to take Jesus Christ coming back and killing, uh, taking over uh, to get all this stuff straightened out. But in the meantime, may we be faithful, you know, and uh, keep shining the light. Uh, because in the midst of Judges, another wonderful story breaks out, and that's Ruth and Boaz, right? And so uh, may we be gleaning in the fields until Jesus comes. And I'm, ex- I'm excited about the prospects of that, because that story ends up really good. And, of course, brings forth David at, at length and the victory. So, uh, you know, we're tied in to the solution, not the problem, once we get saved. All of us have our birth dates in the Lord, and that ties us in. Our birth certificate is the Bible, and uh, we all have a claim to the inheritance, and so we need to behave ourselves as such, which is an essence sense what Paul is talking about with the mystery of godliness, the character qualities of a man of God, all that ties in ultimately to the character of the church and exactly who we are. We represent the light in the midst of darkness. And so uh, claiming those promises are so important. But yeah, Ron, back to your point uh, or your, your question about that. I think there's a lot to consider about, and I, I would say in particular, that's why I touched on the technology. I think the technology it has more to do with that than we'd like to you know, maybe give credit. I mean, there's something going on with the minds of men, and uh, and I mean that in the sense of men, women, and children, with this technology. And uh, the thing that will liberate our minds is truth. But you have to, we have to take time to really meditate on it, and give ourselves wholly to it, that our, the profiting may appear to all. 
which in an essence will make us an anomaly and make us actually attractive. I think I think we have an opportunity to be very, in a sense of, you know, you had seeker sensitive, which was like appealing to the flesh. Well, guess what? If we get, I think right now, there's a lot of young people that will be so attracted to spirit, spirit-filled people because it's going to become like, we're like exotic animals. Like, what in the world? Who is this striped tiger or whatever? You know, what? where did this come from? Who are these people? Just like David. He shows up on the battlefield and everybody's like, what? who is this guy? Where did this come from? Well, came from somebody who actually has the authority of God's Word, believes the authority of God's Word, and is willing to stand on the authority of God's Word and doesn't really care what everybody else thinks, you know, and uh, isn't going, okay, what's everyone think? Which, my point, getting back to what Ron was saying, I think that that's where the church is, Ron. I think a lot of the church members are in that middle spot of lukewarm, and the, and the pastors are there, and and they're more afraid of their jobs, they're more afraid of their social media standing, they're more afraid of, uh, you know, I feel it. When I get in the pulpit and I talk about stuff, you know, even today I was kind of like, oh man, that might have been a little too much, you know. I know some of the things I said this morning could totally be used against me, I mean completely, because I know where they're coming from. I know what they're I know what they're saying, I know what they're thinking. And you know, uh, again, my son told me at lunch, he says, oh dad, I was worried more about what you said last week. <laughs> It's like, why is that? Oh, oh, Roe v. Wade is blowing up, you know. And he's telling me all about it in his, in that, uh, you know, in that young teenagers. Yeah. So he was kind of giving me the perspective of what the view is and all that. And of course, the perspective from what he's hearing from his little microcosm of the world is, is, uh, you know, uh, they're stripping women of the right, uh, women's rights and all that garbage, you know, uh, that you hear. Uh, and nobody's like tuned into the fact that they didn't really do anything. They just said, "Here, let the states decide." That's all that really happened. It wasn't like a huge deal, really. I mean, I love it. I'm glad it happened. I love the states deciding. That puts it in people's courts to make a decision a little closer to home. But, but really, it didn't. It, no one banned abortion. You know, uh, they're still legal in several states. So, um, it wasn't like a huge moral victory. It was a moral victory, but not a huge one. Uh, not as huge as they're making it out to be. What'd be huge is if everybody got saved and quit getting abortions. Now that would be a huge more victory. <laughs> so, but anyway, they could have solved that whole issue many, many years ago by simply declaring that life begins at conception. Yes. In game over. Well, you know what? Game over until New York, uh, because they don't care. Yeah. They'll just kill you coming out of the womb. Now, I mean, technically. Oh, yeah, God will judge that, won't He? So it's 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 really sad, you know. The it's unbelievable that they're allowing partial birth abortion, you know, the way they are. Partial birth, I mean, that's full term abortion. That's unbelievable. Late term abortion, yeah. I mean, well, it's full term. I mean, they literally some of them are like when it comes out of the womb, you can still kill it. I'm like, who in the world? That's genocide. That's that's murder. Yeah, that's Jeremiah By legal definition, that's murder. I mean, unbelievable. I know. It's, but it's also Jeremiah Oh, I forgot to. Thank you. Two reminders. The absent-minded preacher. So, uh, thank you, guys. That'll be fun to put on the internet. All right. So.